Travels with John Smith Year 1 Chapter 2 Settling in Every morning the clock tower sounds like a gentle gong. It resonates deeply through the campus at 6, 7, and 8 a.m. At the finish of the gonging, a woman's voice sounds over the loudspeaker, announcing, I can only imagine, the time. Shortly afterwards, young men's voices chant in unison, then the higher-pitched sounds of young women. I imagine the square below the clock is filled with bright army green boys and girls learning to move as one. This sound urges me to wake up too, to take part in whatever is happening in the day. We see the kids up close on our way into the cafeteria for breakfast. They line up for some final instructions before they are allowed to go and eat. John notes that the same kids who sound so serious when they are shouting in unison are the first to grin and practice saying hello in English when they see us walk by. They do this behind the backs and vigilant gazes of their instructor, of course. They giggle and wave and do not look like a scary army at all. The cafeteria at the school is pretty cheap, depending on what you eat. About a dollar or two for a meal and rice and broth is provided for free to accompany the meal. John got ill from the change in food, so I try to cook whenever possible. So we know what's in it, and I wash the vegetables in bottled water, as tap water is not drinkable at all, unless boiled, and often causes washroom problems. Some of the teachers come in with a bowl from their houses to help themselves to the steaming, gigantic piles of freshly cooked rice in huge cauldrons without buying a meal. Fireworks snap, crackle, and pop in the beginning, middle, or end of the day, or just about any time during the day. The sky becomes brighter with the sparkle of the explosions, making the already smog-ridden sky dusty with smoke. We are told that people set off fireworks to celebrate any small accomplishment, for example, one leg of a construction job, like the roof of a building or the first building of a series, etc. Most of the time you can't see them, especially in the middle of the day, but you can hear them. The pollution over Wuhan is apparently due to the many air conditioners across the city. Also, bearing in mind that China has for years been producing everything you can think of in mass quantities for the entire world, one can assume that the smog is a result of us in the West wanting cheap goods and China supplying them. Wuhan is called one of the great furnaces of China, and it does get very hot and humid here. In the daytime, it is almost unbearable outside. The temperature for the summer is usually between 30 and 40 degrees centigrade. The locals cover themselves with umbrellas and extra layers of clothing to hide from the sun. Even at night, I feel like I have a coating of permanent sweat covering my body. It is also unbelievably dusty here, and with or without the windows open, the dust gets inside the apartment. This is partly due to the massive amounts of construction going on in the city, and partly with how hot it is. 
When we arrived, before we went to our apartments, we were told not to expect the same level of cleaning as we would get in the West, that most people in China don't use soap and bleach on the floors. They use water and large brooms with flat mops to remove the dust uh, and do so often, but they don't usually use cleaning products. When I think of the number of people with allergies to those products, myself included, perhaps this is better. However, we and the other teachers in the same building as us take the better part of two days to clean the way we want before we feel comfortable, much like we would do if we were moving in anywhere. We have to buy dishes, sheets, duvet, pots, cutlery, towels, etc., and we are in a bus with the other new teachers on our way to a place called Metro, a German-owned chain of stores that is kind of like a Costco. It is one of the only places to find Western products, and it's not close. We have driven through many different parts of the city, including alongside a lake with lovely trees and greenery and lots of construction sites where it looked like the materials from buildings that had been torn down were restacked and reused in other places. I have the feeling that nothing goes to waste here. We look for some of our favorite food items, but no one in the store speaks English, so it's like an Easter egg hunt to find stuff. That said, we get most of what we need. We buy huge chunks of cheese that we will cut up and freeze, and dill pickles for me. In the apartment we are living in, the kitchen is small, with a counter on one side, a small fridge, microwave, and a sink at the end. There are not usually ovens in furnished apartments, and they are not easy to find, so we will probably buy one the next time we go to Metro. Until then, we cook everything in a wok on top of the stove, including toast. There is a nice long couch in the living room, a small table that we use for the computer, and a very big, fat, ugly old TV that only has one channel, which is Chinese, of course. There is a small bathroom with a shower directly above the toilet and a drain on the floor, but no separation between the shower area and the rest of the bathroom. So every time we have a shower, it involves washing and drying the entire floor afterwards. We do have a European toilet, which is different than a lot of buildings in the city. When they are building apartments, they usually put the squatting variety in, unless you specify otherwise. If you go out, 90% of the public toilets are the squatting variety, as in a hole in the ground, and depending on where they are, varying degrees of clean although at least there are usually quite a few of them around. The washing machine is outside on our balcony, and so is the place to hang our laundry to dry. Directly across from the apartment is the gym, so if there is a class there, students could look across and see our underwear flapping in the breeze, which feels a little invasive, but as this is normal across the city, they probably won't even notice. In the bedroom, there is a small stand-up closet, which John and I share, and since we only brought one suitcase each from Canada, that's enough for now. 
The walls throughout the apartment are a harsh, bright white, so we have started adding a little color. My friend Laurent, who is a decorator and style guru, and I were Skyping one night, and I noticed he was peering past my shoulders, looking at the walls behind me. He said with disdain, Darling, why is it so white? Imagine this with a French accent. Can't you get a big red dragon or something and put it on the wall? It might sound like a picture of a dragon would be an easy thing to find in China, but for some reason here in Wuhan it is not. I have been looking and asking, but no one seems to know where to find one. We also can't seem to find a long mirror, and I'm not sure why. There are very few mirrors here. The only one we have in the flat is on the wall above the right side of the sink in the bathroom, so we have to twist our bodies to look into it. There are none in the shops we have been to. Um, there is an explosion of fashion stores everywhere, but very little in the home furnishings department. Lamps are also hard to come by, nice ones anyway. They are usually plastic and the kind you use on a desk to do homework. We thought we would wait till after December to either move into a bigger flat on campus or to a place where 80% of the teachers live, which has nicer apartments, but is a 40-minute walk, a 10-minute cab ride away. The advantage of being on campus is paying less rent and therefore being able to travel more, and also it is easier for John just to roll out of bed and go to work. John has begun teaching his classes and says they are amazing students. He says he's been waiting for students like these his whole career. They listen, do the work, and are excited about learning, so he is really enjoying teaching them. He has a heavy workload, though. They start at 7.40 every morning and finish about 4.30, although there is always other prep work and exams to correct on top of that. He has had to work two of the Saturdays so far, and this seems to be the norm, to make up for all the holidays. So it will be hard to get away for a weekend to explore other parts of China. He has both boys and girls in his class and is teaching grade 11 and 12 math. I have done a little volunteering at the library, mostly stamping books and putting barcodes into the new textbooks, and I got to meet more of the teachers and some of the students. The kids are lovely, friendly, and eager to speak English. They don't really need anyone extra at the school to teach English, so... I'm not sure what I will be doing. I have signed up to do an after-school club, teaching the kids how to write songs, and was asked last night if I would come and help at the Foreign National School, which is a separate part of the school. So hopefully I will find a way to get an income from some of this, or it will at least keep me occupied. That said, I'm not sure of my own motives. If I'm doing this to show others that I'm doing something and or to feel less guilty about John being the one working so hard, although he never says or does anything to contribute to my guilt, 
Almost every day, one of the other teachers or someone from back home says, What do you do all day? The truth is, as long as I can play guitar, write songs, or read, I'm happy and never get bored. The school is a private boarding school called Maple Leaf International High School. It is owned by a Chinese national, and he has a chain of schools like them in a few different cities in China. The curriculum is from British Columbia, Canada, and many of the teachers are from that part of Canada. There are about 1,500 students, and many are from families who are well off. Many are from Wuhan, so they go home on the weekend. Others only see their families every couple of months, or some only on the major holidays. The students have access to the internet, but not Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, which are blocked. They don't seem that interested anyway, as they have their own versions of these things, QQ, WeChat, and Taobao, which is like Amazon, but way faster, etc. They are pretty well-informed kids, and although some of the cultural references are different, they listen to different bands, etc., they are the same as teenagers anywhere although possibly more respectful and polite. Outside of the campus, there are not too many people who speak English, so it is really important to bring a card with the address of the school to show the taxi drivers. They are cheap here, cheaper than buses in Canada. A 20-minute taxi ride with no traffic might cost 15 RMB, which is about $3. We also take buses, which are extremely cheap. For about 20 cents, you can take a trip across the city. But they are almost always very crowded, hot, and we are not always sure where they are going. We walk a lot, but the city is huge, so it's not always possible. As I mentioned before, the words we have learned in Mandarin are not often understood we would like to blame this on the book we bought as an easy way to learn Mandarin, but suspect it may have something to do with our pronunciation. Chinese is a difficult language. Most of the time when we try to communicate in stores or out and about, we are painfully aware of how little we know and how much work it will be to have a simple conversation in Mandarin. I am now wondering how and where you even start to teach English if the person doesn't speak it at all.